nerds, you're listening to an episode on the Nerdcore podcast feed. If you're feeling generous, please consider pledging to a tier on our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Nerdcore. We have tiers as low as $1 per month. Thanks so much, and enjoy the episode! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is I, Young Yoda, here, the host of the live show. I don't even know what number this is, but um, I'm kind of kind of by myself for the time being. Hopefully people join us in comments and uh, help me on this. I got a few great topics here brought to us by um, the man, the legend, the TNC heavyweight champion, Aiden Kosick. Um, so what I have is I've got some, some movie news about a Peacemaker star. I've got a beloved cartoon not being on. Um, there's Rachel. Hello. Um, we have another variety article, Supernatural and Walker prequels. Gotham Knights get CW pilot orders. That 90s show, like, that didn't work with the 80s show, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, official posters of Lord of the Rings. And Tom Holland on Uncharted and Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, they got a few other things in here. Um, I'm Brad, Young Yoda. I'm doing okay today. Uh, no gripes, really. Um, so I basically just cleaned up, like, all of this. So, uh, yeah, that's okay. That's okay, Rachel. Um, so we'll get into the topics. Um, yeah. So basically, for the first topic, it is uh, Fantasia and Daniel Brooks to star in the Color Purple movie musical. The forthcoming movie mu movie musical of The Color Purple. Oh, and this comes from Good Morning America of all places. Um, the forthcoming movie musical of The Color Purple has found its leading ladies. American Idol season three winner Fantasia will play Seeley and Orange is the New Black. Alum Danielle Brooks will play Sophia. It was announced Thursday during ABC News. Soul of a Nation presents Screen Queens Rising. Uh, the parts were made famous by Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah Winfrey, respectively, in Steven Spielberg's 1985 film adaptation of Alice Walker's Pulitzer Prize-winning 1982 novel of the same name. Both actresses earned their first Oscar nominations for the work in the movie. A musical version of the iconic work took over Broadway from 2005 to 2008. Fantasia played the role of Celie from 2007 to 2008 during the original Broadway run. Um, then we kind of just go into more 
My heart is so full, Terry Brooks said. I'm going to make you so proud. Uh, Oprah Winfrey uh, replied back to the, the Peacemaker star. You already have. I want to be the one to tell you because you know how much. No, I have such love for her, this character, everything she represents, everything she brought to my life. And what I'm hoping is that she does the same thing for you. Spielberg's The Color Purple earned 11 nominations at the Academy Awards, included not for the Best Picture. It was nominated for five Golden Globes, with Goldberg winning for Best Actress in a Drama. The original Broadway musical won one Tony, and the revival won two. They earned a combination total of 15 nominations. Uh, welcome, Stacy. Thank you for joining me today by myself. Um, now, The Color Purple is the Purple Rain Cinematic Universe, right? We can only hope. We can only hope a little bit of Prince uh, dashes through there, music-wise or, you know, holographically. Mm, so basically, this is really cool. So they're 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 doing a movie musical for The Color Purple, and with Fantasia and Daniel Brooks. I didn't even know Daniel Brooks would sing. I just knew her from Peacemaker. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen this first season of Peacemaker, you're missing out. Uh, we kind of talked about on Unstructured, uh, Aiden, Gio, and myself. And basically, we don't know how DC greenlit that show. And it's gone now through six episodes. I still don't know how they greenlit everything. But it is what it is. Um... So moving from that, we'll go to Boondock Star reveals Sony Pictures has pulled the plug on reboot. Um, this comes from Comic Book and from Aaron Perrine. But yeah, this is sad news. This is sad news because I really liked the Boondocks growing up, um, Adult Swim and all that. But the article starts, the Boondock star Cedric Yarbrough has confirmed that the reboot is no longer happening during an interview with one-on-one -on -one with Deuces. The actor explained how Sony Pictures Television has pulled the plug on the revival attempt. A lot of fans have been looking forward to the Boondocks tackling Huey and Riley's story in the current world. However, it's not meant to be. Clearly, Yarbrough is sad to see the show go and has some hopes that it can be rebooted someday in the future. But for now... Things aren't looking so hot for Return to Woodcrest. Read what he said had to say about the show down below. I hate to say this, but the show is right now, not coming back. Yarbrough explained, I don't know if this is breaking news, but we've been wanting to do the show, and Sony, they decided they're going to pull the plug. So I don't know. Hopefully May one day we'll be able to revisit. We don't then, that's what it is, but I wish the show was coming back, as do most of the fans. They've surrounded us with an amazing cast. Regina King, so brilliant, the late, great John Witherspoon was a fantastic, he said. Gary Anthony Williams is killing it. Aaron McGruder and Carl Jones are giving us the permission to go there. They're like, yes, improvise. We'll do the script, but you know, fuck around. Seriously? I do have the cam mic on. All right. Well, yeah. So that's that's lovely. That's just lovely. Thank you, Luis, by the way. Um, yeah, so if, if anybody's ever been on here and heard me cuss out StreamYard, this is the reason. Because it will not go to my default road podcaster. It will default to my cam mic. And literally pisses me off. 
every time. Like I'm about almost close, this close to quitting the show over that. Not like quit, quit the show, but like turn this show off. Anyways, I will go back and I will I will read back this paragraph. They surrounded us with amazing cast. Regina King, so brilliant. The late great John Witherspoon was fantastic. He said, um, Gary Anthony Williams killing it. Aaron Magruder and Carl Jones are giving us the permission to go there. They're like, yes, improvise. We'll do the script, but you know, fuck around. Do you? Let's see what you got. They gave that show the heartbeat. It wasn't just a written show with a black mind. It's also a written show with black arts as well. Series creator Aaron Magruder tried to get a live action Uncle Ruckus movie crowdfunded before the reboot was announced. We'll go back to that. However, that never materialized. The fans are wondering what would become of the franchise. During recent announcements for HBO Max, the company touted the Boondocks as a big animated project to look forward to. Clearly, the fan base is still trying to see some sort of revival happen. But going back to that, that Uncle Ruckus movie, what would the plot of that be? Like, I want to know this. I want to know how you would have got an hour and 30 minutes out of just Uncle Ruckus. I mean, it would have probably been hilarious, but still, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't write it. There's always been interest in a live-action Boondocks movie, which to me was out of the question considering Huey and Riley are essentially impossible to cast. The site read, The animated feature would cost around $20 million, but a live-action Uncle Ruckus movie could cost a fraction of that. So just for the hell of it, we had the costume made. It was pretty amazing. To see Gary actually transform into Uncle Ruckus is quite the surreal experience. And I expect the transition to be so completely seamless. I'm just imagining uh, Johnny Knoxville like as the old man suit. That's what I'm imagining Uncle Ruckus. But this is just horrible news. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this news right here because Boondocks is such a great show. Um, to the younger audience if you haven't watched it before go watch it it one episode even won a peabody award uh return of the king so you know if, if that doesn't show you greatness i don't know what will uh what do we, what what do we want to go to now so I, I got a few let's go let's talk about the 90s show that's happening uh coming from deadline that 90s show sets young cast led by Callie Haverta as Eric and Donna's daughter in Netflix's That 70s Show spinoff. Uh, Netflix has assembled the young series regular cast of That 90s Show, a follow-up to hit sitcom That 70s Show. The new group of six teenage friends in Point Place, Wisconsin, is led by Leah Foreman, daughter of Eric, Topher Grace, and Donna, Lauren Preppen. Um, yeah, I'm probably not going to be on in 30 minutes, Luis. I'm probably going through these pretty quick, so. Thank you, though. Uh, from the original series, Callie Haverta, Shadai, is set to play Leah with Ashley Ofterhide, Mace Colonel, Maxwell A.C. Donovan, Rain Doy, and Sam Morelos cast as new teen characters opposite fellow series regulars. Kurt Ward Smith and Deborah Jo Rupp, who are reprising their That 70s Show roles as Red Foreman and Kitty Foreman, respectively. I hear that others, others, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Uh, I hear that, I hear other That 70s Show cast members. Why is that sentence so difficult? Including Grace Preppen, Mia Kunis, and Ashton Kutcher iron negotiations to recur in the spinoff, which has a 10-episode order. 
In that 90s show, it's 1995 in Wisconsin, and Leah Foreman, daughter of Eric and Donna, is visiting her grandparents for the summer, where she bonds with a new generation of Point Place kids under the watchful eye of Kitty and the stirring glare of Red. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll never dies. It's just a change of clothes. What is up, Aiden? Yes, thank you for uh, picking out these articles, sir. Uh, Haverta's Leah Foreman is smart like her mom, snarky like her dad. Leah's craving adventure. She's not just quite sure where or how to start until she discovers a best friend in the most unlikely of places, next door to her grandparents' house in Point Place. Ofterhide plays Gwen. Life gets more interesting for Leah when she meets this riot girl. Equal parts, loyalty, rebellion, heart, Gwen is a dynamic powerhouse and the unofficial leader of a new generation of Point Place kids. Love Gwen, fear her, follow her. Cornell? Cornell? Cornell. Not Okay. Plays Jay. He is charming and flirting. I don't know how to read names today. He is charming and flirting. At least he tries. It doesn't always come out right when he's not hanging out with his best friend, Nate. All right. This just kind of goes through the, like, the plot of the 90s show, but like, uh, let's see. I, I'm just, I'm just going to basically say they, they did an 80s show or they tried an 80s show, what, 10, 15 years ago. And that, that just never took off. It never hit like that 70s show. And I think it has everything to do with cast. So if this is cast right, I mean, and it's cool. They're going to bring back Red and Kitty and like uh, Topher Grace and, you know, maybe Mia Kunis, Ashton. Uh, but again, it comes down to basically the main cast of this. And if they can carry such a weight, that 80s show couldn't do that. Series finale should be when the Phantom Manus drops. Um, but yeah, the 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 80s show just could not do that. And you know, it wasn't wasn't a horrible show, but it wasn't very good. It, it just didn't stack up to that 70s show. And I just think that 70s show had a lot of chemistry and a lot of good writers and humor. They really worked for it. Um, but yeah. So that that's that's I guess I'm I'm willing to watch the pilot episode on this and see where that goes. Um, but yeah, the, the 90s show. So tune in, I guess, when it comes out. Um, now we are getting to... Oh, here we go. Just have to wait until that 2000 show. Uh, yes, Stacey, uh, where we're all depressed and living, still living in our parents' house. Um, so let's... Uh... So I'm going to share my screen for this next article. Let's see. Um, so we are talking about the new promos for Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, the new series coming for Amazon Prime. And yeah, this is this is one of them. Um there was one, there was a few cool ones. Um, basically, I mean, you know, it's it's looking looking pretty Lord of the Rings there. Like, oh, we got gold dust in the building. That's, or, you know, or they're huffing paint, one or the other. But, uh, yeah. Uh, wow, this is, this is going to be interesting. I, I don't really know. Like, 
we're probably going to have a cast of characters coming through. Now this is so this this looks like a dwarf. So I'm going to say yeah, we're going to have dwarfs in this just uh that makes sense. Up uh, um probably probably an evil dude coming through. Nobody should let me do these shows alone. I'm just I'm just telling you. Um, all right, all right. Um, I mean, these are pretty cool promo pictures. I don't really know what to say, but that you know, I like the the I like Lord of the Rings. I like the Hobbit series. I'm not like the biggest up to date. Remember everything from those movies because they're not my favorite. You know, they're good, but uh, not my favorite. So I'm going to be watching it. Because that's what we do here. We watch movies and shows and make content. And we'll go from there. But yeah, I'm I mean I'm I'm interested to see in how Amazon Amazon does this because I eventually wanted the Dark Tower series, the Stephen King uh don't not the movie. We don't talk about the movie here. But the Stephen King series that has been in limbo forever in a day and it it definitely needs to be a dark show and i want to see how amazon treats the lord of the ring show because they right now i still think own the property rights for that but eventually i like them to let that go and sell it to hbo because that is that's where i want it to end up is just in hbo's backyard but those were some of the pictures um yeah i don't you know they look cool and all but they don't they don't give me a lot of other than just showing their hands. You're not seeing, you know, more of this. So I guess when the first trailer drops, we'll be talking about that. Uh, moving on. We now go to the Hollywood reporter where Tom Holland and uncharted and Spider-Man no way home secrets. And the actor reflects on bulking up to play Nathan Drake and shares a real-life emotional moment that seeped its way into his recent Marvel movie. We all embraced each other, and we were all crying because it meant so much to us. When Tom Holland returned to the set of Uncharted in July 2020... Um, actually, before I get that, Stacey actually had a comment, so... I rolled up scrolls, some bugs going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably going to lead to a quest for them to have to, you know, carry the bugs corpse into a volcano or something. But, okay, going back to Nathan Drake... When Tom Holland returned to the set of Uncharted in July 2020 after COVID-19 hiatus, he brought with him 16 to 18 pounds of new muscle in order to play young Nathan Nate Drake. Holland also learned flair bartending since his version of Nate has yet to become the famed treasure hunter from the Uncharted video game series. Oddly enough, Ruben Fleischer's film borrows quite a bit from Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, which Holland happened to play during his downtime on the set of Spider-Man Homecoming. Eventually, Sony film boss Tom Rothman suggested the idea of Holland playing Drake as the two parties wanted to build on their widely successful Spider-Man collaboration. And from July 2020 to late 2021, the two Sony properties were interlinked as Holland fulfilled a rigorous production schedule that included back-to-back -back shoots, Uncharted, and Spider-Man No Way Home, as well as additional photography for both projects. When Holland showed up to the Spider-Man No Way Home set in October 2020, producer Amy Pascal 
immediately noticed his transformation as Drake. Interestingly, I felt the difference more so going back to Peter. Holland tells the Hollywood Reporter, when we finished shooting Uncharted, I went straight from Barcelona to Atlanta to start shooting Spider-Man No Way Home, and I do remember producer Amy Pascal asking me why I was walking like a man. And she was like, you don't look the same. You're not walking the same. There's just something different about you. So with Nathan Drake, his physicality is very, very different to that of Peter Parker. And it took me a while to shape that kind of side of him. Holland's hard work has already paid off as Spider-Man No Way Home currently ranks as the sixth biggest film of all time. Audiences around the world just couldn't pass up the chance to see Holland, Spider-Man, Peter Parker come face-to-face -face with his predecessors, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Like, Thanks for the spoilers for anybody that didn't watch this, so I apologize for that. Holland was so moved by his fellow actors' presence that he thanked them both profusely on set in the No Way Home Brain Trust. Director John Watts Pascal and screenwriters Chris McKenna and Eric Summers knew they had to include a similar moment in the film. Although, to be fair, if you're reading this, you've probably already seen the Spider-Man film. That's true. Uh, hey, Kylie, how you doing? Uh, yeah... Solo show, okay. This section, I don't know about that. It's it's more of me like mumbling through this. Um, but we're gonna get through. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. Holland shares. I said to McGuire and Garfield, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this, thank you for being there, thank you for elevating Spider-Man in the ways that you have. Thank you for being so gracious and allowing me to share with that this with you. Thank you for taking a leap of faith and coming back. Toby hadn't acted in nearly 10 years. So we all embraced each other and we were all crying because it meant so much to us. Really? Wow. I did not know he took a hiatus for that long. And John Watts, Amy Pascal, and the writers saw this moment between the three of us and were like, brilliant. Well, now we know how they're going to say goodbye to each other. So essentially, we just reshot that very real moment between the three of us. The opportunity to work with Garfield also meant that Holland could square a lingering regret. Something I can look back on now with a little bit of clarity and regret is that I never called Garfield when I took over as Spider-Man, Holland admits. Had someone said to me after my second movie that I was done and this other kid was taken over, I would have been heartbroken. So looking back, I wish I had the chance to make amends with him, but this film was our opportunity. It was not only an opportunity for him to make peace with the character in the studio, but it was also an opportunity for me and him to have this moment where we realized we could share this thing. The look on his face when he saves Zendaya MJ is a total is totally genuine, and I'm really proud of him. Yes, if you if you haven't watched Spider-Man, that is a glorious moment right there. Um, in a recent conversation with THR, Holland also explained the challenge of playing the cool guy for the very first time in Uncharted. Then he reflects on his No Way Home scene with Charlie Cox. So Uncharted draws on some elements from Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, and you just so happen to play that game in your Spider-Man Homecoming trailer, right? I did, yeah. While we were shooting Spider-Man Homecoming, Holland's best friend, Harrison, Osterfield, and I played Uncharted 4, and we loved that game. I remember thinking at the time, wow, this would make a really great film, but I never could imagine that I'd be playing Nathan Drake. I, we weren't ever imagining they'd make the film, and Mark Wahlberg would be in it. So, there you go. Since Nate is a bartender, you actually trained to be a bartender at Chiltern Firehouse in London. Did you focus mostly on making... Negronis? Negronis? What? Who who wrote this? Who asked this question? Since there's a moment... Why don't you just say, did you, like, like I don't know, a Manhattan? Since there's a moment involving that drink? No, actually, I was mainly focused on just learning some really cool flair tricks. I wanted the flair bartenders out there to really understand that I put in the work and learn these cool tricks. 
So for me, it was mainly just flipping bottles, catching them, and all that sort of stuff. I wish that could be my job, where I just fly off to exotic locales and flip cups and pour drinks. You're always in good shape as Peter Parker, but you really bulked up to play Nate Drake. Why didn't they just say Nathan Drake? Why did they do Nate Drake? It threw me off. What prompted the movie besides seeing yourself next to Mark Wahlberg? To be honest, mate, it was all that. We were about to start shooting the film, and I realized that Mark was so much bigger than me. <laughs> and then we shut down because of COVID. We had a five-month hiatus, and in that hiatus, I did nothing but train and train and train and train. So I'm glad I did because I think it would have looked slightly odd. I would have looked like one of his biceps. Nate doesn't have superpowers, so he moves in a very different way than we're used to seeing you on screen. Could your body also feel the difference after playing Peter for so long? Yeah, absolutely. But interesting, but interestingly, I felt the difference more so going back to Peter. When we finished shooting Uncharted, I went straight from Barcelona to Atlanta to start shooting. Spider-Man No Way Home. I do remember Amy Pascal asking me why I was walking like a man. I was sort of confused. I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you don't look the same. You're not walking the same. There's just something different. But yeah, we went through this. So with Nathan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since Spider-Man tends to be lean, limber, and agile, was Nate's size a hindrance to playing the character? In other words, did you have to cut weight as soon as you got to Atlanta? Yeah, as soon as I got to Atlanta, we started a pretty intense cut. I charted probably 163 pounds, and then I cut down to 145 pounds. 147 pounds for Spider-Man. I needed to be so agile when playing that character and carrying that weight would have been really, really difficult. So yeah, the cut was pretty severe. The stunt work on Uncharted really put you through the ringer, as did No Way Home. Do you now understand why certain actors keep upping the ante in terms of their stunts? Because that adrenaline becomes somewhat addictive after a while. It's not that I find it addictive. I think it's that audience find it addictive. The cinema going experience nowadays, especially with Dolby Atmos sound, can be so immersive that audiences really feel like they're doing it. So as creatives, it's our job to up the ante every time we take on these characters and to make it that much more exciting and impressive. So I don't think it's for our benefit as much as for the benefits of the fans. Is there a reason he like said Dolby Atmos? Just threw that in there. Is this... We get, are we getting sponsorship for that? Are we? Are we Tom Holland? All right. Uh, continuing to play off the title, what was the uncharted territory for you on this movie? Oh, love, lovely question. Great, great puns going on. I love my life right now. Uh, what aspect was completely new to you? One of the most difficult things about this character was playing the cool guy. Historically, I've always sort of played the outsider who doesn't particularly have many friends and isn't the cool kid. So Nathan Drake is the complete opposite. And that was something that took me a while to get used to and feel comfortable doing. Um, I mean, it just kind of continues on this way. It was quite helpful. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me see. It kind of just continues on in this sort of instance. It's a much better article than a variety article with Channing Tatum. But, like, I don't... Uh, here we go. Uh, oh, I will read this one. One of the most heartwarming aspects of No Way Home is the fact that Andrew is finally getting his due as Peter. Has the response to Andrew's performance been a source of pride for you? Without question. I could not be happier for him. Something I can look back on now with a little bit of clarity and regret is that I never called him when I took over the Spider-Man. That was said previously in this article. 
Um, I'm really chuffed that he got this up. Chuffed. I'm, I'm going to have to Google that. That's that's a British word. Chuffed that he got this opportunity to win back the world and for people to be reminded that his Spider-Man movies are fantastic and brilliant in their own right. And yeah, that's about that's about it. So uh, hopefully we see him in future Spider-Mans as Sony has taken over. But yeah. Okay, uh, also coming from Hollywood Reporter, Heat Vision. I believe this is about Moonfall. Um, the moon is falling this weekend, but what is what is rising in its place? Roland Emmerich's Moonfall is expected to bring in just 8 to $10 million in North America. Not a great start for a movie that costs $138 million. This comes after Scream opened to $30 million three weeks ago, and that was deeper in the Omicron wave. Also, horror movies just cost less. We've been over this multiple times on the show. Like, it costs way, way less to make. Moonfall is being bested by Jackass Forever, the sixth Jackass movie. Now, you can blame the weather. You can blame Moonfall not being very good. But with the froth generated by the announcement of a Scream 6 and a Spider-Man-centric Madam Web this week, it shows that a big chunk of the audience, especially the moving audience, likes to know what they're getting into. It's a tough road to travel as the same people pay for the familiar. familiar. also like to complain about things being too familiar. Stay in your lane, they say, but also go beyond it. Just not too far. How far is too far? We'll let you know. Uh, audience expectations and wants are being upended nowhere more spectacularly right now than on the Book of Boba Fett. The last two episodes have been the show's strongest, even as they basically sideline Fett. So we went from Moonfall to Boba Fett. Um, Kylie says, Moonfall was amazingly bad. That is what I have heard, too. Um, just from the trailer, it looked amazingly bad. <coughs> Sorry about that. The last two episodes have been the show's strongest, even as they basically sideline Fett who was once one of the most popular characters in the Star Wars galaxy, but it's not overshadowed by a host of others, new, old, and classic. Is it fan service? Is it a design? I don't think Boba's really being overshadowed. I think they're gearing up, and I think people forget this. Like, this is the book of Boba Fett. Like, I hope there's a season two. I'd love to see Fett, like, continue on. But this is getting a cast of characters for this whole universe to start up. So I don't think this is the last we see of Boba Fett, of Fennec Shan, of all those characters. So I, I wouldn't really say it's overshadowed. I'd say they're putting all the pieces together in order to probably create an amazing battle that's coming in line against the Pikes. And yeah, that's that's what I see it as. And you know, if you don't like seeing the Mandalorian more, I don't I don't know what to tell you. But continuing on. And just before we hit send on the newsletter, we saw a flurry of sites running about a now-deleted tweet revealing the May debut of the hotly anticipated Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series. Our own source sourcing corroborates the rumor, but it's not official until it's official. Anyway, we'll be revisiting this week's episode of Boba Fett this weekend, because how can we not? But let's not let's move on to a scoop. A scoop. 
on original feature that is development that we think sounds intriguing. Before I get to that, Stacy says, both that's been great so far, especially the Pimp My Starfighter episode. Gotta love Chrome. Peter Ramsey is staking his claim in live action film, filmmaking. Film, filmmaking. The director who began the first black filmmaker to win the animated feature Academy Award as co-director of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is attached to direct Blood Count, a period supernatural thriller just picked up by Paramount. Ramsey's writing the script and will direct the feature, which is in early development. LeBron James Springhill is on board to produce. Okay, LeBron James's Springhill is on board to produce. Okay, his company. Details are scarce, but it's described as a film noir social thriller with supernatural elements that is set in the 1950s. And on top of that, it's said to be loosely inspired by his father, a jazz musician. That sounds amazing. Like, not even kidding. You have the writer of Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse, and then a film noir social thriller with supernatural elements in the 1950s. And on top of that, loosely inspired by his father, jazz music. Like, that sounds amazing. Like, I want to write that. Actually, no, I, I'd rather watch that. I don't want I don't want to write anything, really. Uh, Tom Holland can finally talk about it all. Yes, because we, we know Marvel likes to put Tom Holland uh, duct taped in a closet until the movie releases now. The actor is back in theaters with Sony's Uncharted on February 18th, just a few months after Spider-Man No Way Home broke records for the studio. But American Pie is getting a reboot. I mean, there I kind of did that a few times, so I don't know. To me, you can only stick your dick into the pie so many times, but hey, um, to each their own. That, going back, the actor is back in theaters with Sony's Uncharted, we're talking about Tom Holland, on February 18th, just a few months after Spider-Man No Way Home broke records for the studio. In an interview with Brian Davids, Holland digs into Uncharted, which we just read. Um, yeah, we just read that, so we're good. Okay, and we are we are good with that article. So, um, yeah. I am... I think I have one more article, and then I think we're, we're pretty much done. <laughs> nah, 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 those are spinoffs and sequels. Okay, Luis. I'm not arguing with you on here by myself while you text me. So, you know. <laughs> straight straight to Hulu and straight. Yeah, here we go. Okay. If his camera works, we'll see. I'm not putting you into your camera work, so there you go. Yeah. You're muted. Muted. There you go. <laughs> oh, I, my headphones aren't plugged in. <laughs> argue. <laughs> I didn't hear shit. So Save me for why. myself. Thank you, it, Luis. What the fuck is this camera? Is is it is it just for me or is it, am I like wide and shrunk? Well, yeah, you kind of wide and shrunk. What the? Is, fuck? You, is your head normally that elongated? All right. Well, no. Actually, got a double chin going on. 
That's why I got the beard. I can't grow a beard, Brad. <laughs> Hold on. What in the world? No, it'll just be a dark and gritty re- reboot, which just leads to chafing. Ew. <sighs> you, you know, the, 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 if anything, there'll be, um, what the hell? I look weird. We talked about unstructured. Uh, he, he'll probably, be, uh, fucking a hot and spicy instead of a pie. Ew. Ew. But Luis, you, you, you kind of came just right on in time because I'm on the last article. What's the last article? Also, uh, e- Ethan Cohen calls the tragedy of Macbeth, Macbeth dumb as a dog dick. <laughs> I've never seen Macbeth and I don't know who the fuck that is. Let's go. For well, it. I think it's, I think this is about, so Ethan, um, so the Cohen brothers, I think Ethan decided not to do this with his brother, and his brother mm-hmm. did this. So go. he's calling his brother's movie dumb as a dog dick, which is, I think. <laughs> Sounds like sibling love. Uh, oh, I have not watched yeah. the new season yet, bro. If you, so if you can't shut tell, up. <laughs> if you can't tell in the background, I, we haven't even, like, I haven't turned it off at all. Like, we, we just finished. Yeah don't, yeah, don't start that. Don't start that. On, we on finished it. We don't need to start. Oh, it. you finished it. Like yeah. I haven't even started the new season yet. Damn, you're missing so. out, bro. See, here's the thing. I've only seen season two, and Raul fit me in with season one. I've only caught like a couple episodes for season one, but from uh, what I've damn. heard, season two of Euphoria is so much better than season one. Apparently, so that yeah. makes me happy because I like season one. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Well. Uh, but you waited I, this I've, been, long. I've been watching Peacemaker, so I caught up on Peacemaker today. That was um, also good. I think we get the finale. I don't know. Two days for now. Because there's only eight episodes on that one. Yeah, and then Book of Boba Fett has one episode left because uh, it's only seven episodes. Which I also saw. That was pretty it was pretty good. Uh, Zendaya's second Emmy coming in express shipment. I believe yeah. it. I believe it. Uh, thank you I'm for joining me, Louise, because yeah. I hate doing anything alone. Like when it comes did to you, podcasting, yeah, you just it's did rough. all the articles, huh? Because I this, this doesn't feel like the 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 normal live show. You know? Well, we we're changing things up. So basically, okay. and we kind of went over this when Unstructured came on. Unstructured oh, is okay. now the first forty five minutes of this show, but like taken out to an hour, hour and thirty. And then this show kind of focus on the news articles, what's actually in the title. So that's how it's kind of going. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see how that goes, but that's kind of the idea. So basically, Wait, again, Aiden, so I haven't seen the ad that we've played like millions of times. What is Unstructured exactly? Uh, Unstructured is basically top of the dome. Talk about what you want. Bring in articles, what you want. We'll discuss it. Uh, that is what Unstructured is right now. Oh. Unstructured used to be just me by myself reading Reddit articles, which is why I stopped doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, shit. That's, shit. that's why that? I stopped doing it. Okay. All right. Hey, so sounds like fucking we... Uh, okay. Uh, um. Stacy, while you're there, watch Righteous Gemstones blasphemously funny. I have watched... I have not watched the new Never season that came out, but I've watched nope. the previous season, and he's not wrong. I don't even know what that is, but it, it, it is, might have. It is on HBO. It um, I forget his name, 
but it, it is a comedy and is very funny. It is about a family of basically mega church uh, Christian pastors. Okay. And it's pretty fucking funny. So the scientific church, whatever. Scientology. No, 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 no. So it, it's it's <laughs> it, it's not it's not. I'm not gonna say it because they'll be sending people outside my door and shit. Let but it's not that. It's actually like Baptist. I think. Oh. I think they're Baptist. So what's the like, one in 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 Houston? Um, nope. Not saying it. Nope. Uh, I know what Lakewood. you don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> Let him fucking come. I fucking know. <laughs> Y'all, y'all, y'all go after that man. Don't come after me. Like I don't need that. Uh, Boba's so fucking good, y'all. Keep like, in mind, I've only seen like the original six movies and nothing else. So watching Boba, I'm out of order, but it's fucking phenomenal. It's good. Oh, oh, with, with Star Wars in itself, and it's yeah, really it's weird because there are like parts like mm-hmm. you, like parts that you would better know with Clone Wars. Like I haven't watched all of Clone Wars. Yeah. So I'm lost in some of that stuff there, but like even the Bad Batch, which is a recent show, mm. there's stuff in history and Boba that kind of pop up. Yeah, there's like a lot of canon that they add from the past shows. Yeah, which is wild. But hey, I mean, John Favreau has created the MCU from the ground up. Let him do Star Wars after George Lucas left. So, I mean, I don't think Shit. I don't think um, Favreau has done anything bad um for a long time at least i can't it's think of anything. Weird. Yeah, i remember the movie sh- the movie chef and that was fucking fantastic that was great i've never actually seen it but that one scene where he's cooking the grilled cheese that's enough and you, you should see you should watch that that's really actually a really good movie is it um a really I don't enjoyable think they, is movie. it on something i don't think it is i think it's on netflix oh check it out they might have taken it it's out, on though, netflix or amazon movies but yeah, I would su- I would suggest that. Um, oh, but let's get this. Yeah, this lady. Well, I have Luis here. Well, before he has to leave, like, um, yeah. what? <laughs> hopefully not. But we will talk about this. Ethan Cohen calls the tragedy of Macbeth dumb as a dog dick. That's. I mean, I just I love the title of this. This comes from the Digital Fix. Dog dick. Dumb as a dog dick. Um. Shit. Oh, I'm saying it's on HBO it. Max. Even better. I seen it. Yeah. Um, sometimes critics can be harsh, especially if they're your siblings. A review of the tragedy of Macbeth, the new drama movie directed by Joel Cohen, has surfaced, credited to Ethan Cohen on They Might Be Wrong and He Doesn't Mince Words. Um, again, these are the Cohen brothers. Uh, like, y'all know them from Fargo, from a lot of other good fucking movies. Um, but yeah, let's <laughs> Getting the obvious out of the way, Ethan points out the potential for bias in being Joel's brother and creative partner. However, he assures us all entirely capable of reviewing Joel's work in a fair and objective way. The kickoff, Ethan regards the tragedy of Macbeth as Joel's shittiest movie before comparing it to a rather large pile of elephant excrement. Damn. Whatever you're imagining, it's more than that. Ethan pontificates about what might be missing that the rest of Joel's filmography, which contains several of the best movies ever made, is a talent itself. Ouch. Adapting Shakespeare is used to illustrate that perhaps Joel latches onto greater creative forces than himself and piggybacks on their abilities. 
The decision to use black and white is regarded as either pretentious or a sign of ill-informed decision-making. Fucking moron, Ethan writes. Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand are the leads, and their performances are praised. Although, at this point, Ethan starts getting personal on the matter, first shamelessly pointing out that McDormand is dragged down by someone who was slagged in school for some awkward defecation. Dude. Rough. It's okay. <laughs> like, 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 who needs enemies when you got a brother like this? Like, all right, here's what happened. Here's how that review came to be. So, Ethan, I believe the director, or that Ethan is the critic, right? Ethan is the critic. Joel is okay. the director. So, Joel slept with the ten, like their senior crush, right? Right, right. Now that they're growing up, right? And Ethan still had a crush on her and was probably talking to her, but then Joel came in and took her away from Ethan. So Ethan, in return, not only did the whole sibling thing where like your movie's fucking trash, get lost, kid. He also went ahead because that's a lot of cursing for a, a critic. That's that's a personal touch. That that is not. I mean, he, like he like, said, it's not biased, but that is a hundred percent. Like, what do we what do we get? Like, um, so what? Joel's shittiest movie. Uh-huh. Um, fucking moron. Uh-huh. Like, this is the stuff... Like, you can be... Like, I could be, like, this critical if Raul did this. But yeah. it would be behind doors. It wouldn't be in front of anyone. In front like, of everyone? Like, th- like, Raul, I think it was shitty. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it wouldn't that's... be in front of anyone. And it definitely wouldn't go out into fucking, you know, the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's personal. This, this, this is... Probably, my guess is Ethan wanted to do something with his brother, and his brother chose to do this instead. Mm-hmm. That is my guess, and mm-hmm. just Ethan is just pissed off at this point. Um, because you know, generally, although the, really the only Macbeth kind of movie I've seen is a Kurosawa movie. Um, so I've never I, seen. I, I haven't seen this one. But um, I think it's Throne of Blood. That's the Macbeth. I think it's Throne of Blood, which is really good. Um, God. And I was kind of looking forward to this just because Denzel Washington is in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I now, think, now that you mentioned Denzel, I think he. I think I saw an ad for that movie then. Yeah, yeah, it, it was on something, something, um, because it had re- like on YouTube, maybe. I don't know. Uh, probably more than likely with probably. the amount of ads that they had. Fuck yeah. 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 Um. Oh, welcome. Um. Bot. Yeah, yeah, towards the end, so I'm not. I already took care of it. it. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, thank you. Then we veer into a. I'm going back to the article. Then we Uh veer into a personal grudge involving a light bright from 1963. At the risk of getting involved in a brotherly rivalry, it comes to our attention light brights weren't available until 1967. Sometimes it pays to fact check our own recollections of events. The review is rounded off by likening the tragedy of Macbeth. To lizard jizz before it gets a half star out of five. I really want to find like I really want to find this article and I want to read it on here after I get through this. Uh, hardcore, regardless of who wrote this piece, it's a damning piece, a negative critical analysis that leaves one much to ponder on cinema. Um, if anybody ever reviews anything from my friends called lizard jizz, I'm going to show up at your house and beat you. For those That's... that have seen Jackass forever, I take pigs' uh, jizz over lizard because I don't even think they can jizz. 
I wonder if Ethan is just robbing Joel or he's actually pissed with his, I, I believe, uh, Roel meant rubbing, rubbing Joel. Um, yeah. I don't, like, maybe. Like, he, like the, this is kind of harsh to be a joke. Like, we it, joke all the is. fucking time on here. We're kind of bastards about it, but this is... This That's is to personal, me just yeah. Rude. Um, if this critique hasn't put you off, check out on here. All right, I need to find this. So, um, where? All right. Uh, so basically, okay. So this is an article of a critique. Yeah. So Ethan, Ethan Cohen. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. That makes more sense. Still critique. though. Hell, no, that's, that's fucking. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I don't think I've ever caught any of my brothers or siblings thing. I call my the eldest, which is the one that I talk shit to the most, like a fucking dumbass. But that's about to the extent that I. I mean, say anything. so everyone like it might just be like Ethan just being an asshole. Yeah, I think Ethan's just being an asshole, or fucking Joel actually did some shit to to deserve this. The world would never know, but. Like I am, it's those are fighting words if I've ever seen them. Go talk, go 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 to the the old wild west and uh, talk that shit to someone back in the day. You get a, you get a, you you know you you'd get gun singing out there. Da, 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 da. Wow, wow, wow. I'm trying to find this damn thing. Where the fuck? Uh... What if it's deleted already? <laughs> what if he deleted it? Yeah, I, I mean. It's already out there, though. It, yeah, of course, but that doesn't mean it is like you know how deleting it from your own personal prior to release any ties and then like get your lawyer involved for defamation and whatnot for releasing those shits. You know, I don't know. I don't know how these things work, but that sounds. Like, I think serious. it's still out there. Um, calls the tragedy of Macbeth. Sorry to everyone. Uh, oh my god, you can uh, I'm see. looking. I'm looking. Oh, this new lighting really gives out my fucking pimples. Uh, a light in the scene. I heard it. Look at that. Mm. Lighting was really good though. It's good, but it's so good that my pimples show up. My deformities, Screen my range. my wrinkles, my my uh insecurities. It brings everything up. I know. Like, everyone is saying, like, how good this movie is. So maybe he's just being an asshole. Yeah, I think he's just being an asshole. Like, also, it's Den- it's a Denzel Washington movie. When has Denzel ever failed anyone? No. He hasn't. We've got Equalizer 2. That was pretty bad, but he still did his fucking best in okay, it. Okay, okay. I found it. I found it. Okay, okay. I think. Okay. So, from I Might Be Wrong, Joe Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, reviewed by Ethan Cohen. More like Mac Black. Um, okay. Um, in the tragedy of Macbeth, longtime Hollywood presence Joe Cohen, who has 18 prior films to his credit, takes sole creative control of a project for the first time. The result, not unlike the tale of Macbeth itself, is a tragedy of epic proportions. In the interest of full disclosure, my editor has re- requested that I mention that I was Mr. Cohen's writing partner, producer, and creative collaborator on the aforementioned 18 films. I am also his brother. 
We parted ways prior to Macbeth in a split that the press described as completely amicable. Despite my prior association with Mr. Cohen, I feel that I am entirely capable of reviewing his work in a fair and an objective way. I do think he's kind of, he is kind of just like being a dick. Yeah, at this point. <laughs> it's sounding that way. It's just... Mm-hmm. Uh, Macbeth is Joel Cohen's shittiest movie by several oh, billion light years. Brad, you're you're an only child, right? Yeah. Oh, so you have no clue how siblings roast the fuck out of each other. You have well, no other way. other than my wife and her three sisters. Oh, but not those brothers. Are sisters, yeah, brothers yeah. are different. Yeah. Fuck yeah, no that because that's about like that's going overboard to the extent I, of what this, we do. Like just just what I'm hearing in the previous article, we. It's like there's a line. He already crossed yeah, it. He like, already crossed it. He already crossed that shit. Now it's yeah. just like being mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if all the elephants in all the world crapped into the same canyon for a hundred years, oh my you God. would still not have a pile of shit half as large as Joel Cohen's dumb oh as a dog God. dick rendering of this classic tale. One can't watch Macbeth without getting the sense that something is missing. Some inspired element that gave Mr. Cohen's earlier work an aura of ebullient genius is absent this time. The wit, verve, and undeniable rugged machismo that characterized the other 18 films in which he happened to be involved are nowhere to be found here. Ultimately, one must conclude that what's lacking is talent itself. Consider the very decision to adapt Macbeth the choice belies deep insecurity. Mr. Cohen seems on some level to understand that he has the talent God gave a balloon full of piss and therefore needs to latch onto more talented artists like a lamprey sucking the life out of a majestic blue well. Fuck that, bro. A less insecure director might have been satisfied with a less esteemed piece of intellectual property, but Mr. Cohen glommed onto perhaps the best-known play by the world's most renowned playwright in a move that screams, Help! The no-talent police are right around the corner. Please, someone rescue me before I'm exposed as a fraud who somehow fell ass-first into a movie career. Dude, that's... (laughs) That's holy shit. That's way worse than we thought. It's not like, even done yet. Like it's, it's not. like halfway. I'm All like right, halfway. I don't think I don't think you need to read the rest at this point. I, I, let, let me just kind of like skim through. Um, holy shit! The amount. Oh, no, of no, no, no. Just... We got we got to read more. We got to read oh more. My God. Uh, if the decision to take on Macbeth suggests that Mr. Cohen is a sad wannabe, flailing for credibility, the choice to film in black and white proves the case beyond any reasonable doubt. <laughs> In a move that would get you kicked out of Film 101 at the DeVry Institute of Mediocrity, Mr. Cohen renders the Bard's Tale in black and white using a 4 to 3 aspect ratio. As if that alone makes you Akira fucking Kurosawa. Though black and white can occasionally be an inspired choice, 2001's The Man Who Wasn't There comes to mind. The only way in which this gambit might have been anything other than a desperately pretentious ploy Oh that's possible that Mr. Cohen was simply too dumb to know that color film exists. Or Fuck. perhaps he thought, hmm, Shakespeare's old black and white is old. I'll film in black and white just like they did back in Shakespeare's times. Fucking moron. He said, that's quote, literally a sentence. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think we need to read more. Yeah, this is not a criticism. This is very much biased. 
in the aspect of its choice of words. If it was simplified to the extent of, I mean, I'm I'm very very sure he's probably joking, but like this would hurt anyway. <laughs> yeah, this would hurt anyway. It's like, oh damn, like this is this okay. This would hurt like someone saying, "I'm just being honest," while they tell you brutally unnecessary truths yeah. that you don't really need to know and that you may also be aware of. But they're just bringing it to light to add a little salt to the to the big ass slash that you they already took from you. Oh Lord, Terry. Uh no, nah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need I'm gonna need that credential uh revoked. I don't I don't <laughs> think this one is it. Um I Got say you. all the time to Raul, like the black and white shit. Oh my god, you fucking snob. But I'm joking. That man came out for blood. That man, that man literally stabbed his brother and was like, it's comedy. It's it's just a joke. Old time YouTubers. Look, it's just a prank. It's just a prank. There's a camera. There's a camera right there. You, you know, you know, like beyond the joke, there are probably feelings of that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Know. Shit is wild out there. I don't know what's going in the Cohen family, but sounds like they're sibling rivalry, and some sounds like uh, there's other tensions. Hopefully, it's not something relating. To the actual family, family. And, and it's not the first time the Coens have done a movie by themselves. Now I'm not sure if Ethan is the one who directed previously by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like Damn. you know, that's I, I I get this is a joke, but even even some of this is just like we didn't even get to the lizard jizz part. Like <laughs> we don't need to, because <laughs> if they if they minimize what he actually wrote, I don't need. I don't want to hear the rest of it. Probably yeah. talking about full reproductive between reptiles. That's yeah. Damn. I mean, that's I think I think I think we're just gonna we we'll go ahead and uh, end right there. Yeah, so, yeah, um, I'm down with that. Besides, I need to go do some end, shit. <laughs> let's end on a low point right there. Um, <laughs> Check out Euphoria, y'all. Yeah, go go watch Euphoria. (laughs) Go watch Peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peacemaker's good. Uh, What are the shows? Oh, uh, all of us are dead. If you like zombie uh, series slash movies, and also Korean series because it is a Korean series. It's pretty good. Not gonna lie, I I enjoyed um, it. I can't wait till the the Coen Brothers celebrity uh, boxing match. Um, where Joe, Uh, we're gonna Jake shit out of Ethan. (laughs) We're gonna Jake Paul the the boxing match. Yeah. I mean, that's only that's all you can do at this point. Just give give him a ring and let give them him a ring and let him. Yeah. Oh shit! shit out Isn't each other. that what they did in the old times, like yeah. in black and white eras? Yeah. Shit. All right. Fuck it. That's what they need to do. End their little feud. Call it a day. Call it a new year. And let's get this money on better films. Yeah. Get back to directing. Because who the fuck wants to see a Macbeth movie, anyways? Damn. I mean, only only by Curacao, like so. I'm good. Um, <laughs> but uh, Luis, go ahead, plug it up. Thank you for joining Shit. me for the last bit of here. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, well, you see, I just updated my new layout for my website. So check out Lexer Studios, and it has basically everything linked up from my Instagram to my two films that I am proud to actually put out. Uh, one which is my recent one called Elias Worth, and the second one, an old documentary where I look back at it to get stills. Dude, I was skinny back then. I got chunky. I mean, that's that's just the COVID. That is true. And two to three years locked up and ordering from, you know, fucking DoorDash. Yeah, DoorDash (laughs) and shit. Yeah, no. Fuck. 
anyways, yeah, check, in, uh, check that out, uh, LuxurStudios.com. And if you don't want to do that and you just want something, Luigi, L-U-I-G, on insert social media here. That's basically what I rebranded myself to. Luigi on, in, uh, Luigi on IG, Luigi on TK for TikTok, Luigi on Twitter, I think. Uh, you name it. I don't know what else. I, I just, Even my Discord name is Luigi in voice chat. <laughs> so, uh, hey, yeah. It's just, consistent. just, it's consistency. Consistency. Yeah, that's what I want. I want people to remember my shit. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you for joining me, though, at the end here. Really appreciate that. No, um, no problem. Because... I was struggling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good. I'll try to join for more. I I don't mind. Okay. Uh, it's just timing wise. We I forget. Yeah, I hear I hear you. That's fine. Um, so you can find me at random germ one one everywhere, but I'd much prefer you go follow the nerdcore underscore or TikTok, the nerdcore, and basically the nerdcore everywhere else. Nerdcore.com and yeah that's that's it um i just want to say i apologize for you know having to do the solo thing there for yeah. the first 30 to 45 that um i'm we'll not get the, the best at i'm not the best at but you know i was like i gotta do a live show i didn't do a live show yesterday so we we soldier on and yeah so oh. thank you to all our listeners listeners out there all our patreon supporters thank you to the everyone who joined me in chat and uh, kept me company Really appreciate you guys. What are you doing? It's a clip. <laughs> so my hair is long enough to where I can clip it, but these are too, too tiny, so I need to get new ones, but I still have them around. Don't put them on your lip. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts well. It hurts so good. Hurts Anyways, so good. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say, yeah, fuck Ethan Cohen, and um, that's that's just rude, man. Yeah, like, up, man. Like, and if you ever write a review like that to my friends, um, we're gonna Jay and Silent Bob that and just be at your door. Shit, sure, we're gonna we're gonna do the Godfather like it's coming out in 4K in a couple weeks. We invite you to this family and you disrespect it. Like just straight up. Like, yeah, I want to be there at like Thanksgiving though for the Collins that like just like <laughs> throwing the turkey fun. at each other. So um, I was the but... lizard just <laughs> that's, that's where it all starts. Just put it in his drink, like yeah, fucker. <laughs> but anyways, thank you guys, and um, check out our uh, patrons. We'll have them at the end of the show after the outro. So check them all out, and thank you, everyone, and good night. Give Labyrinth his own uh, uh, Grammy.